I had the unique opportunity to volunteer at a halfway house this summer. And basically what a halfway house is, is this is a transition period between jail and um, society. And so they had programs and, and different um, ways to bring basically people who were hurting and bring them back into society to be productive people. And so me and a friend um, volunteered our time every Tuesday night at 8 to 9.30, basically just to have a Bible study and have spiritual influence in, in some of these people's lives. And so I found it oftentimes burdensome to show up. I was working over 40 hours and um, this was at night and I had very little time from work um, to drive to Port Huron to make this happen. Um, and so there's oftentimes I would ask myself, is it worth showing up tonight? You know, will, will anything be missed if I don't? Um, and I came to the conclusion that um, a simple two hours out of my day literally meant an eternity for somebody inside that place. And there was transformation and change happening before my eyes. And I found that when I drove home, um, I was laughing at the fact that I almost didn't show up to see somebody's life transformed. And although I showed up with the intention to really love on people and to really bless people, I found myself driving home more blessed by what I was able to give and to pour into. And so volunteering was, was just an awesome opportunity and it brought me a lot of joy and just contentment in doing something bigger than myself. Well, dear ones, I'd like to greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This semester, we've been actually looking at Paul's epistle to the Philippian believers every Monday during chapel. Well, this morning, I continue looking at Philippians, focusing on chapter 4, beginning with verse 10. So I'm going to begin reading verse 10 to 13, reading from the New International Version. And this is what it says. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength, Yet it was good for you to share. Join me in prayer. Well, dear Father, this is my prayer that these, your beloved, would not necessarily see Jim Lowe speaking. But my prayer truly is this, is that they will see you speaking in and through me. And I pray this in your wonderful name. Amen. I'm going to ask that you do me a favor before I actually get into the message, but if you could come along and find yourself a writing utensil that you're going to be hopefully using towards the end of my message. I have met many individuals who tend to focus on the phrase, I can't. They completed, their completed I can sentences sound something like this. I can't control my temper. I can't keep my thoughts pure. I can't do my work well. I can't make a success of my work. I can't live victoriously. I can't live the holy, pure life. I can't keep weary out of my mind. I can't forgive that person who hurt me deeply. Or I can't stand my roommate, and thus I can't love that person. The list can go on and on and on. We have all heard the I can statements. In fact, if we were to be transparent, we would have to confess that at some point in time, we have actually joined that wretched chorus ourselves, that the refrain would sound something like this, I can't, I can't, I can't. 
Paul S. Reese, a holiness preacher of days gone by, stated, with some of us, it is a habit that hogties us. It is a mood that masters us. It's a mentality that produces fatality. Every hope of radiant, adequate, victorious living, it is choked off. You see, as I read the Bible, I contend that we need to contrast the I can thinking with what the Apostle Paul wrote, I can thinking. Notice the following with me. The Apostle Paul informs me that, first of all, in the Lord Jesus Christ, he was able to cherish, he was able to love. In the Moffat translation, verse 1 reads, those for whom I cherish. You see, the people that he cherished, the people that he loved were those who did not belong to his own race or to his own nation. He was Jewish. They were Gentiles. They did not get along well with one another. And yet so intense for the Philippians was Paul's love for them that he was willing to suffer for them in order for them to hear and respond to the gospel message. It was in Philippi that he and Silas had been cruelly beaten and brutally jailed. But Christ's love, which filled his heart, conquered any bitterness and anger that could have been there. You see, I love the account of, of a young man in India who came from a wealthy Hindu family who became a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. The rest of the family bitterly opposed his decision to walk with Jesus Christ. They approached him and they threatened him by saying that we will take away your share of the inheritance unless you give up this crazy walk with Jesus Christ. Completely unembittered, he let them do that. But soon they were quarreling amongst themselves over his share that they wanted for themselves. So that finally, in order to break the deadlock that had taken place, they had developed, that had developed, they came to him and asked him to step in as their mediator. They told him, we're asking you to do this since you're the only one that we can really trust. And so there he sat, arbitrating the distribution of wealth that was supposedly to be his. When I heard this, I thought to myself, I would have said to those individuals that approached that Hindu young man that he had become a Christian, you bunch of mm-mm, I can't and I won't. But not this young man. With a heart filled with Calvary love, he said, I can, and he did. Well, the rest of the story, they tell me that this young man eventually became the prime minister in one of the states of India. The second thing I want you to notice is that in Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul wrote that believers can be used to cure, to bring healing. Verse 2 informs us that a dividing situation was taking place in the Philippian church. Two ladies in the church were at odds with each other. And then in verse number three, Paul addresses an unnamed leader of the church, urging him with God to help those women to stop their bickering, their mischievous tiff, and be united. This leader was being asked to be a cure agent to a tense situation, to bring healing in a divisive situation, and to do it not in his own strength, but to do it in the power of the Almighty. You see, I contend that we can all be used by God to bring healing. And then in verse 11, the Apostle Paul wrote that in Christ he could be content. And this is where I want to focus this morning. You see, many of you have heard verse 11 spoken often, that I can be satisfied for I have learned in whatever state I am therewith to be content. Historian author M. Schlesinger Jr. makes the observation that our society is marked by inextinguishable discontent. 
Our quest is to seek for that which is better and that which is next. For we have a propensity to live endlessly for the next thing, the next weekend, the next vacation, the next purchase, the next experience, the next computer, the next watch, the next cell phone. It seems so many are never satisfied, never content, who seem to be in a continual state of being envious of those who have what they have not attained. In fact, let me try to share what we're talking about. We're talking about the cultural thing that we have come along in term, the comparison trap. Now, I need to let you realize that as you are coming into this auditorium today, there were some individuals that I want you to know, they were wearing some pretty cool sweaters. Could you stand up? All of you, stand up, and I want you to turn them on for us, okay? Aren't those cool? Now, this is what I'm thinking. If Jim Lowe is going to be cool, he needs to get a sweater like that. And so I come along, and all of a sudden, I begin to realize I was being discontented because of what I had seen. You see, advertisements tell us something is new and improved in order that we will feel that we have less than the best and are somehow behind the times. You see, the problem with this mentality is that one never, ever feels satisfied. And if you never are satisfied, then you can't enjoy life fully because you feel as if you have been deprived. I like this simple definition. Contentment is a state of satisfaction that is anchored in our confidence in God that results in a joyful celebration of life. You see, to be content, Paul comes along and suggests that we as believers in Jesus Christ, we need to consider four different things. First of all, in order for us to be content, we need to consider that we need to be conscientious of what God has and is doing in our lives. Well, I want you to know, during Thanksgiving break, I heard some really corny jokes and statements. I'm not sure if you like them, but I'm going to give you a few of them. My pastor friend, Bob Van Syce, he came along with this one. What did the turkey say to its computer? Google, Google, Google. A Christian teacher, though, at a Christian school asked her students this question. What do you get if you cross a turkey with an ostrich? The answer, given back to her by her students, a Thanksgiving bird that buries its head in mashed potatoes. Well, if you didn't like that one, let's try this one. She asked the question, what do you get if you cross a centipede with a turkey? The answer, fewer fights over who gets the drumstick. <laughs> now, I know that some of you are probably saying, pretty bad. And some of you are thinking, umfundisi, Jim, what a turkey he is. But I want you to know is that what got me about this illustration is this, is that one of the boys in the class approached his teacher and said, Miss Longnecker, every day should be Thanksgiving Day. And I thought to myself, how true especially for those of us who profess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that dear ones, every day we wake up, there is something we can give praise and thanks to God for. Isn't that the reason that when Israel was up here reciting Psalm 136, isn't in some ways that's what he was talking about, that we can be people of thanksgiving because we have a God who truly loves us. Secondly, if we're going to be content, we need to consider that we need to be committed to learn. I want you to notice first on this one, this point here, that one must be committed. 
You see, too many Christians seem to feel that it's all right to be living in passionless complacency. A reality, it's easy to get to that place, but hard to get out of it. It's too easy to live the lazy, who cares kind of Christianity that is described in Revelation as being lukewarm. In fact, I need to let you know is that I want people to like me. I want students to like me. I want you to like me. And thus, there have been times that I know that I probably should have said something, but I held it back because I wanted you to like me. But I feel I need to say what follows, knowing that what I share next may get some of you upset with me, but I still feel it needs to be said. That some of you really need to consider moving out of your state of complacency, for until you do, you will not be able to experience the joy and contentment that the Apostle Paul is talking about. I have been reflecting upon the words of Jesus Christ when he stated, I wish that you were cold or hot. And I believe that what Jesus Christ means is this. I would rather have you against me than having you pretend that you love me. Dr. Adrian Rogers once said, lukewarm Christians have done more to harm the cause of Jesus Christ than all the prostitutes, all the bartenders, all the pornographers, all the drug pushers combined. Now, how true that is, I'm not really sure, but I think he's making a point that, dear ones, if we're going to make an impact in this world for Jesus Christ, we have to become people that are passionate for the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, some of you have stopped pursuing God. You say with your mouths that you love God, but your actions show that your God has become your cell phone or your computer or some other object. Since for some of you in worship services, you are more focused on your technical gadgets than you are on being focused on the one who sits upon a throne, high and exalted and lifted up. The one to whom, dear ones, we are called to magnify and to glorify and to give him all of our praise. But then I also want you to notice on his second point, Paul wrote, <coughs> I have learned to be content. The Apostle Paul does not say that upon becoming a Christian, he instantly became a contented person. But it was through years of committed growth in Jesus Christ, and as he went through both trials and went through blessings, that he learned to be content in every circumstance. And so remember, it was Paul who sang the songs of praise to God while in jail in Philippi. He had learned to discipline himself, to rejoice in the Lord, to surrender his anxieties and his worries to God to program his mind with wonderful thoughts of God and God's many blessings upon his life. I teach a class here. The class that I teach is evangelism and discipleship. And usually when I enter into the class, I will ask the students there if they would come along and just shout out some praises and thanks unto the Lord. And I usually will make a statement like this because we assume that it's automatic for us to praise and to give thanks to God. But can I share, it is a discipline. And I notice that one of the things that happens is that when students begin to give thanks and praises unto the Lord, their faces change and you begin to see a smile upon them and you begin to realize their whole countenance changes because now they're focused upon God. If you want to be content, be confident that God cares for you, that he truly does desire the best for you. Paul wrote in Philippians 4, 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. 
It has been said that 1 Peter chapter 5, 7, cast all your cares upon him for he cares for you, really is a parallel verse to Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. I love the word cast. If you were to come into my office, you would sometimes notice that I have crinkled up papers all over. There are times that I would take a pad and when I'm anxious about something, I will come along and on a piece of paper write, you know, grading, it causes me anxiety. After I write it, I will crinkle it up and I will throw it away from me. If I have other concerns in my life, I'll write it on a paper and I throw them away. And I want you to know it feels so good to realize that as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we do not have to carry those burdens ourselves. The reason that we can cast is because we know that God cares for us. I love the verse of the year from a few years back, Jeremiah 29, verse 11, where the Lord declares, I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. And then number four, if you want to be content, you may need to consider being a person who cares and is willing to go and share. Be willing to go forth and serve others. You see, in verse 15, Paul commends the Philippian Christians for their care of him. And then in verse 16, he wrote about how when he was in Thessalonica, they had sent him help for his needs, not just once, but more than once. They were caring. They were sharing Christians. I like how one student put it. Serving others really is a win-win situation. You feel good because you're helping others, and others feel good because they are being helped. An article entitled Scientific Benefits of Helping Others came along and presented seven benefits of going forth and serving other people. Let me share those with you. Number one, helping others can help a person live longer. Volunteers who go serve show an improved ability to manage stress and stave off disease, as well as have reduced rates of depression and an increased sense of life satisfaction. Number two, altruism is contagious. When one person performs a good deed, it causes a chain reaction of other altruistic acts. One study found that people are more likely to perform deeds of generous service after observing another doing the same. Blessing number three, others can make, serving others can make a person happy. One team of sociologists tracked 2,000 people over a five-year period and found that Americans who described themselves as being very happy, they served others at least 5.8 hours every month. Number four, the fourth blessing, helping others can help with chronic pain. That according to one study, people who suffered from chronic pain tried working as peer volunteers, and as a result, they experienced a reduction in their own symptoms. Blessing number five, helping others can lower one's blood pressure. You see, one piece of research showed that individuals who volunteered for at least 200 hours a year decreased their rate of hypertension by a whopping 40%. This could possibly be, they say, because they are provided with more social opportunities, which help relieve loneliness and the stress that often accompanies it. Blessing number six, helping others promotes positive behaviors. That again, according to a group of other sociologists, high school and university students who went forth to volunteer, they had better grades and better self-image of themselves. And then number seven, helping others give us a sense of satisfaction. 
That's one of the reasons why I wanted to show you the video of Cody up there who has learned that going forth, that sometimes, yes, it may come along and it takes a sacrifice to do so. But many times, Cody testifies about how satisfied he was being able to serve. Listen to the definition again. Contentment is a state of satisfaction that is anchored in our confidence in God that results in a joyful celebration of life. And you know what the Apostle Paul is telling us? He says, hey, don't go around and say that you can't be content. But in Jesus Christ, we should be able to go around and say, yes, we can be content. Yesterday, this weekend, during the break, one of the things I decided to do was to go into my journal and to make a list. A list of things that I am thankful for. And as I was doing that, I thought to myself, it's kind of like a scroll from heaven. And so some of our chaplains, this is what they're going to do. They're going to come along and they are going to roll down a piece of paper down the center aisle. As an act of worship, this is what I'm going to be asking you to do. If you remember, at the beginning of, this, of my message to you, I came along and stated, please get out a writing utensil. This is what I'm going to ask you to do, is that as we're worshiping, as we're standing up, will you do me a favor? Will you worship the Lord by singing, but will you also worship the Lord by going to that middle aisle and with your writing utensil, come along and write things that you can thank the Lord for. Some of you may just write one thing, but can I share others of you may want to come along with a short list. But dear ones, let's come along and make a scroll of praise and thanks to the almighty God to whom we serve. Amen.